If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Some people are worth the wait, and we have been working to get today's guest on the podcast for months. And from everything I've seen, from every indicator, he is worth the wait. Wayne Slight and I started exploring this conversation and recording it about five or six months ago. We really wanted to record a conversation about building a strong organizational culture. But you know, we both seem to have incredibly hectic schedules that just did not line up for actually recording the episode. So I am so thrilled that we actually, our schedules aligned and we're going to be able to do it today. Wayne knows a ton about building strong organizational culture. He is the chief operating officer of the digital marketing agency 97th Floor, which is just outside of Salt Lake City. And his efforts at building culture, building a corporate culture, have received broad recognition. His company has made lists like Fortune 500, sorry, Fortune's 50 best small workplaces, Entrepreneur Magazine's list of top company cultures, and also the Marketing Agency of the Year Award. Now, I know that oftentimes when we talk with for-profit companies, it may not feel like they speak as much to the nonprofit sector. But I would encourage listeners, as, as Wayne and I talk about things that his company does to build a strong company culture, to think really about how this might apply to them. 97th Floor doesn't have hundreds or thousands of team members like most medium-sized and smaller nonprofits, it's not actually that large of an organization, but they've built an amazing corporate culture. And of course, we also may end up chatting just a little bit about digital marketing and how your nonprofit can market itself better. I'd be shocked if that did not come up at some point in our conversation. So let's welcome Wayne Slight to the podcast. Hey, Wayne, welcome. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks so much, Dolph. So you clearly think a lot about organizational culture, but what sparked your passion for it? Um, I, it, it's hard to even classify it as, as a passion, um, but I absolutely do 
um, enjoy thinking a lot about it. Um, what sparked it was past experiences of working at, at different companies. Um, some things I liked and a lot of things I didn't like. Um, when I joined 97th Floor, uh, Chris Bennett is, is uh, my partner. He's the CEO. When I joined, it was just him. So it was just the two of us. So it wasn't a, a company. It was us working. We didn't have an office. It was working from our home. Um, and there, there were no rules. We, we've known each other most of our lives. So we're very, very close. Um, and it was all about the work. That's all that mattered. Um, nothing else. And as we, um, it was in 2012, we got our first office. Um, we had just hired a, a few other team members and we moved in. All of a sudden we started um, putting in rules and there was no thought to it other than, well, th those last three jobs that you had, what were the rules? What were the policies? And we'd mark those down and, and write them all out. And that was it. Um, but then we, I, I didn't ever want to do like hold myself to a different standard than our other team members. So if they had to follow these policies and these rules and basically this culture, I had to as well. So I started following that to myself. And I'm like, man, this kind of sucks. Like work is starting to, to suck. Um, because it wasn't about the work. It was it started becoming um, different things like that. Um, so me and Chris started having conversations and, and he would tell me, I, you know, everything worked before with me and you, like, why can't you just go back to it? And I was like, well, if, if that way of doing work um, for me is makes me happier and allows me to do better uh, work, why, why isn't that for the rest of the team members? So we started asking the question why, which is, is something I think everyone should do in all aspects of, of their lives. Um, but we started doing it in, 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 in relation to this conversation with, with work. And we just started asking, what, why do we care that people are here at eight o'clock in the morning, exactly at eight o'clock? Why do we care that they have to uh, you know, take X amount of days for uh, sick, X amount of days for um, vacation? And we, we couldn't find any good answers other than that's what, what other companies did in the past um, that we worked for. So we started writing our own rules of what we wanted. And essentially it was, the rules were, what would make Wayne and Chris, what would make Chris love working um, at, at a company, at this company? And those were our rules. Uh, and that was uh, kind of the hypothesis was just like, well, let's build a company um, culture that, that we like. And... It might not be for everyone, but it will be for people that are similar to us in terms of what they value. And we, and to this day, we still say 90 cent floor is not a company for every single person. It works for, I think, a lot of people, but some people it doesn't work. And we try to be very upfront and honest about that in just our overall marketing, like on our website, um, but also like in interviews. Um, we, we tell them exactly how it is because we don't want someone coming in and, um, being uh you know disappointed an example of that is some people and totally fine they kind of want stuff handed on a silver platter to them do, do xyz you come in and you do xyz and then you're done and you go home we don't really operate that way which i can see that as being a, a a con in many cases sometimes people would feel um like they don't have as much guidance as they want um and we think we do provide guidance but a lot of it is they have to kind of ask the question first. We more set kind of the overall goal and let them kind of, uh, you know, 
find the answer or solve the problem uh, by themselves. Anyway, that, that's kind of back to the question. That's kind of where it started was just the early days of us forming 97 Floor, the actual company, like the, our first office and coworkers and stuff and realizing the traditional way of doing it wasn't for us. So we figured, well, it's probably not for other people too. And so far, it's 2019, seven years since we moved in that first office. Uh, the people that have come through the doors, 99.9% have absolutely loved it. People that have moved on to other companies, we still stay in contact. That's another part of our culture is we have a, an alumni network. We do alumni events and stuff. And, uh, you know, everyone seems to have really liked the, the culture that we have and it's made a positive impact in their careers. So that's really super cool, Wayne. And, and I love the fact that you were completely upfront and honest. You put it on your website. You talk to candidates and you're like, we're not a good fit for everybody. What are some of, what are some of those rules for Chris that means Chris is going to have a job that doesn't suck and are rules across the board? Um, yeah. I mean, one, one is that we're a results-only work environment, a row. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. That's not something that we coined. It's a uh, started by two women at Best Buy a long time ago, and they have their own consultant um, agency that helped us be certified. But essentially what it means is every team member, every employee is has 100% autonomy, and in turn, they give the company 100% accountability. So essentially, uh, you're free to do whatever you want, whenever you want it, and wherever you want it, as long as the work gets done. Um, so there's no, it, it takes out all of the subjectivity between, you know, a, a manager and an employee. There's no longer, uh, yeah, yeah, just keep it simple, no subjectivity. It's all about, it's, you know, objective uh, discussions that are going on at that point. Um, so that's one that, you know, that applies to Chris, the CEO, myself, and uh, every other employees. So let me jump in. When you say 100% autonomy, does that mean as much vacation time, as much sick leave, come in when you want, leave when you want? You just have to hit your objectives. Correct. Yeah. And it's different. A lot of people, when, when we talk about this, whether they're new or just um, new team members or just you know out in the community, they think it's similar to um, flex time or, unlim- or um, unlimited uh, vacation. And it's not. It, the difference, it, it's, there's no vacation policy. Meaning when you have an unlimited vacation, you still have to uh, request it, get it approved. People know where this, it's, there's, there's no policy at all. We don't, we're, we don't talk about vacation. I mean, outside of, you know, we're friends with the people we work with, so there, there, there's stuff like that. There's no scheduling of, of anything. Um, and yeah, we, we have no way to track how many uh, days people took off. It's all about setting, um, you know, weekly, monthly, quarterly, um, yearly goals, and allowing people to achieve that, and, and we kind of get out of the way after that. And so, obviously, these are really quantifiable and easily measurable goals. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there there become some gray areas sometimes where there's it's a uh, a little bit. Uh, I guess, for example, um, we have a small marketing department at Ninety Seven Floor for our own brand, and. Uh, most of their goals are very uh, metric based, but there's some that are a little bit more of like branding. And, and I get there's some you know metrics that you can put on those, but we, we don't really um, do that with our overall branding. So it's more of just like a, a feel of what, what we want that department achieving. Um, and that's a little bit more difficult, but I think that those are just conversations that you can have like in, in one-on-ones and kind of get a sense. 
and at, at those times though, you can also look at productivity too of, okay, well, we don't have a specific metric to judge you on. So whether you were out all month or whatever on vacation and you weren't getting your work done, we, we can still look at um, like productivity um, things. So whether that you wrote this many articles or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, we just don't want to get involved in people's lives. Um, we don't, I, I think traditionally companies, uh, and I get if you look in like the history of work, I guess, um, it's all about the, the employer controlling the life of the employee. And we don't want that. Um, my, my, my father passed away when I was uh, a teenager. And one of the things that he um, told me, not right before he passed away, but like, you know, uh, one of the only like life advices that I, I received from him because I was young when he passed away was be your own boss. And growing up, I, I always thought that meant, oh, you got to be the, uh, you know, the boss that makes a lot of money or, or whatever the case may be, you know, from TV shows and whatever the case may be. But as I started maturing, because he didn't have a lot of money, I started realizing it wasn't about the money. It was about the control. Um, not have, you know, being able to go to your son's basketball game whenever you want, be able to be like in control of your life and not being uh, held at the mercy of your employer. So we, that's kind of the, what we've adopted at 90 cent floor is we want to get out of the controlling of our employee, our team members' lives. We want to just say it's more, it's a little bit more of a, um, freelance economy, even though they're not freelancers, they're employees and they get, you know, the benefits that come with being employee, uh, you know, guaranteed salary and benefits and protections and all that kind of stuff. Um, they do have the freelancer side of, in terms of like kind of being their, their own boss in, in the sense of controlling their own life, whether that's time, whether that's, um, you know, you can tie it back to money in, in the sense if, Someone doesn't want to work as many hours and uh, maybe work, wants to work 30 hours a week and they can get the job done. We, one, we don't track, so we don't know, but we'd be totally fine with that. But hey, if they want to make more money, they could, and they're only spending 30 hours and they want to spend 40, 50 hours a week, like that's in their control. They can ask for more responsibilities, which would, you know, obviously come with, with higher pay. So that's kind of the, in a nutshell, one of the approaches that we try to take is get out of people's lives almost treat them as a freelancer, but with the, the benefits of them being employed, right. let them control their lives. Very cool. So do you have any other rules besides just the meet your objective rule? In, in terms of the work or like at, at the office? Well, you well, you know, so, so, so you've got, you've got these, these folks who, you know, kind of are like contract workers, but they are employees, you know, so they're W-2 employees. Right. Do you do you have any other rules for your employees other than just meet your objectives? Yeah, I mean, there's rules in terms of, you know, around the office, you know, like don't leave your smelly, you know, egg salad in the uh, refrigerator for a week. You know, there, there's certain things like that. Um, communication is, a big one. I, I again, I hate the word rules. It's more kind of, it's more of a culture that we're we're doing, right? So, like, if you're taking time, well, everyone's expected to respond to everyone within 24 business hours, if not sooner. You know, most of the time, most people are. We still have a, quite a bit of people in the office, um, but we just look at the office as more of a tool that that they can go use, um, not as much as like a mandatory thing. Um, but we have Slack, we have Zoom, we have a lot of technology that allows people to meet face to face anytime. We have Zoom rooms, and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, so they're expected to respond at least within 24 hours to clients, to coworkers, whatever the case may be. If not, they're, they're um, supposed to use in row, you call them superpowers, which is essentially just like a, a email vacation responder or in Slack, a, a status notification explaining, you know, uh, I will not be responding to you or responding until, you know, Thursday, October, you know, 30th or whatever the case may be. Um, so people know when to uh, um, expect a response. So yeah, there, there's, I want to say so much rules more guidelines of just how we operate. Um, and I think people come in and uh, like new employees and you, you kind of just pick that culture up. I mean, that's kind of what <laughs> culture is, right? Like you don't have to necessarily be told, you just witness it and you experience it and, you know, to hopefully adopt that culture. Um, so. I think that's an excellent point that, you know, it's really about culture and not about rules. So what are some of the other ways that your organization's culture are, distinct from that of a more traditional employer? Yeah, I think um, that that focus on results and nothing else is probably the, the biggest one people talk about. Um, the other one is just our, our mission as a company, I think is different than a lot of companies. There, there's several out there that are very similar to us, um, or at least in their own way. We don't have uh, aspirations to go public or sell for a hundred million dollars or grow at crazy, um, um, race or wh whatever the case may be. Like we're all about doing work we love, which is marketing. Like we're, we're marketing geeks. Um, so it's all about like at our company meetings, we, we, we do talk about numbers. Like we show numbers just because, you know, it's interesting, but we don't have goals for numbers in terms of revenue or anything like that, like money numbers. We have goals for, you know, retention rates or uh, client health in terms of meeting the metrics uh, for, for our clients and that kind of stuff. Um, but we don't have a big focus on money. Not that it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters, but it's a, it's a byproduct of what we actually care about, but it also is a means to an end of what we, we care about. So we have, so most companies have a, a mission statement, right? Or, or vision or whatever. And then they have values. We have both of those. Um, but we also have another thing that I've, I haven't heard of any other company having, but I'm sure there are in different um, ways. We have guideposts. And these guideposts, there's five of them. It's the five guideposts that we have every business decision be filtered through. So think of your company values um, that you have, whatever it is. You typically use your company values to determine who you're going to hire, who you're going to promote, and who you're going to fire too, right? So if honesty is one of your company's values. You look for that when you're interviewing an, an employee. You look for it in terms of who you're giving praise to or, or uh, promoting. And if someone's not honest, you, you terminate them. Um, you let them go based on that. So how you filter uh, personnel decisions through your values we use these guideposts to filter business decisions and money or revenue is not one of those for, for us it's um, clients, which means, you know, doing great work for the companies that hire us, but also the uh, individual points of contact that we have. We want, want to help them get raises or promotions, make them look like, you know, the stars that they are um, uh, careers, which is our internal career from CEO to intern, making sure that, 
whether it's at 97th floor that they're retiring here or they're going to start their own other company or go work in-house at some brand, whatever the case may be, that 97th floor is doing everything it can to make their career, whatever their objective is, help them achieve it. Uh, Charity is one, which will play right into this uh, podcast, obviously. Uh, we, we care deeply about that. So we're um, members of the Pledge 1%, which you're probably uh, familiar with. Um, uh, so we donate 1% of our growth revenue um, to charities each year, as well as doing uh, volunteer work. Um, anyway, so that's one. And then leadership um, in, in the business community and specifically in our, our marketing industry. And then legacy. Legacy meaning we want 97 Floor to be around. We always say where our grandkids can, uh, you know, apply to, to get a job at 97 Floor. Just because that matters to us that we think it's cool to uh, be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So as you can see in all five of those, not one of those is revenue-based or anything like that. So any business decision that comes through um, that we're, we're trying to make a decision on, obviously it ha- at least has to help one of those things, but it cannot negatively impact any of those. So I guess an example would be if, well, if we took some of that money that we have uh, budgeted out for charity and we gave it to our marketing department, we'd be able to grow or whatever. We wouldn't do that because yes, that would help us with careers because we might be able to hire more. We get more clients and we can help them out, but we won't do that because that hurts our charity. And that's one of the reasons why we wake up in the morning is charity. Um, so yeah, I think, I think those guideposts is, is something that we really like and we find, uh, is, is a little unique and, and different. But again, it's not for everyone. I think some people, they want to be part of those, you know, rocket ship companies that, you know, are hell-bent on growing as fast or making as much money as possible. And again, we're not opposed to that, but it's not a, it's not a focus uh, of ours. Those five guideposts are why we're here. And at what point in the recruitment process or onboarding process are you talking to your employees about those five guideposts? Um, I would, I, so I'm not too in, involved anymore um, on like the early uh, conversations. I, I would hope uh, fairly early, but I mean, we have it on our, our walls and stuff. So hopefully, um, even though I kind of make fun of that, usually of having values on your walls, we, uh, was it this year? Yeah, beginning of this year, we finally got them on our walls just for a reason. I, I'm not a fan of it, just like most people, just because it's like, oh, you just slap it up there and then you don't. you're done, you know, you check the box and you're done living those values or whatever the case may be. Anyway, we do have them on on the walls. Um, Yeah, I'd expect the people that are doing um, uh, our our hiring, like our initial interviews and stuff, they're doing that very early on. Now, have you had the rare occasion when you've got a team member that's not living those guideposts or, you know, maybe being counterproductive in terms of amount of time they're taking off or something like that? Yeah. So again, those guideposts are for business decisions, but then we have our, our seven core values that, that we um, have. And yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we've had people, it's not very um, common at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, if what's the point of putting values on the wall or even defining those if you're not actually living by those? And that's the hardest one. In terms of hiring and promoting or giving praise based on those values, that's kind of the easy Thing. And I think most companies get um, get it right. The hard part is disciplining people based off of those mm-hmm. values. It's very hard. And um, not to be a hypocrite, because we struggle. I personally struggle at that. Um, but I guess I, I, the first uh, 
step to recovery is acknowledging that you're not good at it. And I acknowledge it and I'm trying to get better and I've made, made, made steps. But yeah, when someone's getting, doing good work in whatever role they're, they're, they have, but um, they're not, so one of ours is selflessness, right? So helping other people, whatever good work you're doing, sharing it with other people at the organization. Um, you know, if someone's just, you know, does great work for 97th floor, but just keeps it all to themselves, it's never helping out. Or if someone's asking for help, it's never volunteering to kind of go help that person out. It's kind of hard to, you know, discipline them. Um, and we're not, you know, a, a crazy, uh, you know, brutal company where it's like, you know, someone doesn't help someone out one time and they're, they're fired, but it's having that conversation um, with them. It's still uncomfortable to do, um, but we're trying to get better at that. And that's one of our, you know, goals in terms of actually living, uh, actually doing what we say instead of just you know, saying it. And who typically has those conversations? I mean, do people's peers take them aside and say, hey, you know, we have this this value of selflessness and we need you to do this? Is it their supervisor? Is it kind of, you know, various people, depending on the situation? Who initiates them? Yeah, the, the best case, and this does happen, is when each employee, each team member is policing themselves, right? That does happen and it's, it's great and we want to keep going towards that because that's the, that's the best culture. That's where we want our culture to go. But it's difficult. So when that doesn't happen, yeah, it's, it's whatever manager we have there. So we haven't, again, that's like our, our weak area in terms of the praise. One, one thing that we do at 90th floor sounds super silly. I get it. It's going to sound fluffy, but it does matter. Is every Monday we, we have a thing called Monday Chairs. So just on Slack, two people, um, the person that received a chairs the previous week gets to do it this week. So if I received it last week on Monday in Slack to the whole company, I say, hey, I want to recognize Joe. Um, I'm giving him a Monday chairs and it's based on one of the, the company values. So you say, hey, Joe represents the company value selflessness. Amazing. This is what he did last week for me. I And you explain it, right? Um, and then they get a free lunch, a gift card to like a local restaurant or whatever. And then it, it just gets passed on. Super simple. I get fluffy. But peer-to-peer recognition, it feels good. Mm-hmm. It feels really good. Um, it's, instead of always just like, oh, my manager gives me praise. But someone in sales gives me a praise. I don't even know. Like, they're not even on my team. Like, that feels really, really good. But the cool thing about it is new employees or existing employees, but specifically new employees, they can come in and just every Monday they see two messages of people getting shout outs and they understand why. So they can start understanding what it takes to be successful at this company. Oh, this person uh, got a shout out for volunteering and helping the sales team on a project, even though they're on client fulfillment or whatever, like, okay, I need to start looking for opportunities to help other teams and then I'll get shout outs and, I'll, you know, I'll get rate, I'll, I'll get a free lunch or a raise or a promotion, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I think it's a it's a simple theme, but over time it builds up, and I think people are able to understand, you know, what it takes to be successful if that's what they want to be. That's very cool. Now, how did that get started? Like, did you all see the idea somewhere else? Did the team internally have this idea? Who came up with the Monday Cheer idea? Yeah. Um, so it started, we, we used to use a, a service called Tiny Pulse, if anyone's familiar. Great, we don't use it anymore. It's a great service if anyone wants to check it out. Um, no, not affiliated at all. Um, it's basically just a employee survey um, thing. 
And uh, one of the aspects of it at the time was you could do cheers. You could shout people out. Um, and people really liked it. The reason we stopped doing it, uh, to go off on a tangent, is it, it seemed like uh, at least how we were using it, I think, was a little bit wrong. Where it was, it was asking every single week, like, what's wrong here? What's wrong here? And it felt like after a while, it was like, well, nothing's wrong here, but I keep getting asked it. So let me think. And it was like, you're trying to search for some negativity. Um, so we, we took that out. Um, and we still do employee service in, in other ways. But um, one of the things when we took it away is people started missing was those those chairs. That, um, and I think they called them chairs, actually. I think that's the name. Uh, that's how we adopted the name. Um, anyway, so after a few months, yeah, uh, uh, I can't remember who or how many employees, team members um, asked to uh, that they missed it. And yeah, I can't remember exactly how the um, Monday and two started, but it was it was a few team members uh, just bringing up saying they missed it that that peer peer recognition. So so we brought it back in our own way. You mentioned that you're still doing surveys. Are you using CultureAmp or? something like that, or are you just doing using a Google form or how are you doing your surveys? Yeah. Google form, which I get isn't, maybe isn't <laughs> some people like frown upon that, but I'm personally not a huge fan of um, surveys in general. I like more just one during one-on-one mm-hmm. um, having discussions. Um, but some people in our leadership disagree with me, which is totally fine. And yeah, so we, we kind of, I guess, do a mixture of that uh, every once in a while, like a very formal survey, but even all those surveys are followed up with one-on-ones where they, they're able to um, have discussions. So the, one of the benefits of doing the survey, which I agree with, is we're able to aggregate, you know, a lot of, instead of just having one-on-one conversations and then at the end of meeting with every person in the company, uh, kind of going off of just feelings of what's going on, we can aggregate the data. Mm-hmm. So that's why we do both. Nice. Uh, a lot of what I love is you know, you suggested a lot of things that either don't cost money or don't cost a lot of money. So doing check-ins, whether you're doing those one-on-one or whether you're doing surveys or, you know, your Monday cheer, I mean, maybe there's a gift card involved, maybe there's not, but your Monday cheer does not really cost that much, even if even if a lunch gift card is involved or having those guiding principles or those values. And, and I love that because I, I think a lot of nonprofits often think, well, we'd like, we'd like a stronger organizational culture, but we're just so limited on dollars. You know, we can't afford mm-hmm. fancy things like culture amps and, you know, expensive staff retreats. And, you know, you've, you've really, you've not said anything that's terribly expensive. We are very much, I guess, not necessarily against being, spending money. I think uh, that's just kind of who we are just because we started, you know, with no, we're bootstrap company, right? Like um, that's kind of in our DNA of being cheap. <laughs> I, me and Chris both grew up fairly uh, on the very, very low end of middle class. Um, so I think that's just kind of our, our DNA. So we don't spend a ton of money on, on that kind of stuff, but we do uh, spend a, a little bit. But one of the themes of culture that we've been passionate about for a long time, and there's kind of a, a joke at our company and anyone that knows me externally is that I hate ping pong. And I'll explain why I actually love ping pong. Not that I played a lot, but I do love ping pong. But the last company I worked at before 97th floor, they had a ping pong table. And this was when like culture started becoming fairly popular in, in kind of the business community, like focusing on it, um, you know, 2009, 10, um, that area. Um, they had a ping pong table, right? And everyone loved it. And it seemed like every, I think two times a day, each team got to go play for like 10 or 15 minutes or whatever. And it seemed like that was 
what people were waking up to do, like just go have fun. And that was the culture. And I, I think a lot of companies, less so today, but for a while there, it seemed like all companies thought culture was all about the free snacks and the, you know, yoga or whatever the case of ping pong tables. Um, so why I always say at 90 some floor, we'll never have a ping pong table is just because of what that represents. Not that I have anything against, and we have silly fun themes, but that's not the focus. We don't want people at 90 some floor because of those fun themes. So I think a, a, a nonprofit that maybe doesn't have a lot of money to spend on, you know, the office or culture, that's totally fine. You don't need that. And I think if anything, that kind of, that kind of stuff can bring in the, attract the wrong people that are there for the wrong reasons. Um, and I think a lot of companies got into doing that because the work that they were doing, it, was, it wasn't fulfilling to the employees. So I think there was kind of like this hole in each employee's heart that wasn't being filled because they weren't doing satisfying, fulfilling work. They weren't progressing. They weren't being challenged in their work. So the company felt, well, how do we fill that hole in our employees' heart with ping pong? We have free snacks or, you know, whatever the, that fun stuff is. Um, and that's the stuff that costs money typically. So yeah, we, we take the approach, um, you know, if we're going to do fun stuff, it's more of kind of just like a byproduct. We had a good month or whatever. We'll go, go to a Utah jazz game as a company in Sweden, you know, like mm -hmm. something like that, but it's not something in our you know, employee ads or, or job ads or whatever, like, Hey, come work at us and we get to go to jazz games or anything like that. It's come work with us and do meaningful work, grow in your career, be challenged. Like, it's that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, in terms of building culture, I would recommend staying away from that stuff, especially early on. And if you do it, kind of be hush hush about it and explain like this is not to uh, make you stay here longer or attract you know new employees. This is just for us to kind of you know have a little bit of fun separate from like the the core business. Mm -hmm. I. I recommend just focusing on what people really care about. And I, I think that's most, most people care about it that I've wrote, written a few things and spoken at a few conferences on in terms of millennials versus, you know, uh, uh, Gen X and, and whatnot. And really, if you look at like studies and, and data, there is very little differences. There's some differences in terms of the generations outside of work, but in terms of when it relates to work, the things that they care about is, is the exact same for the most part as, as Gen Xers. And I think a lot of companies thought like millennials for some reason just wanted a bunch of fun. And it, that's how it became a trend to just outspend, you know, you hear Google doing some cool stuff and okay, well now we need to do that kind of stuff. And it, it, it went out the window. So yeah, I, I think we have great benefits that, that matters that, you know, that's not fun stuff. That's just a good 401k or good health insurance. Um, but then we have other perks, definitely. And those, some cost money, but we try to take the approach that a perk is supposed to support the company values or else don't do that perk. So a, an example of one of our perks at 90 cent floor, small, is uh, it's called the 90 cent floor library, which is any employee and any team member can request any book that they want and the company will buy it. No questions asked. They take it home, read it, and when they're done, they just go put it on a bookshelf in our in our break room. So we have built up a collection, and then you know, other people can just there's no checkout process or anything like that. You just go grab a book whenever you want it and return it when when you can. Simple theme, but when you hear of a new book, you know twenty dollars or whatever, like it's coming out of your own pocket. 
you might think like, oh, maybe I'll buy it. Let me let me think for a day or two, right? And then you never get around to it. Whereas if it's not your own money and it's not even floor's money, you just, yeah, I'll buy the book. And then boom, two days later from Amazon, it's, it's on your nightstand. Well, now you're probably going to grab grab it. And the reason what that is benefiting is one of our values is Kaizen, which is Japanese word for continuous improvement in business, right? Also your, yourself. Um, so we want to encourage that. And, you know, reading books is one of those approaches of, of continued education, continued improving um, on yourself and whether it's marketing business, self-help, or just, just your mind in general. Um, so that's one of our, our perks that is not, it's actually not that expensive, uh, but we, I don't know how many books we buy. We buy several books or a few books every single month, you know, hundred bucks or something like that. Um, but I think it sends that message of, Hey, we value Kaizen. We value you not coming, you know, you graduate, you have your job now and you're done learning. Like, no, no, no. We want you to constantly improving yourself. That's awesome. Uh, I, I'm just about to ask you the off the map question, but before I do, I have to ask you if you, now that I know you've got this library, um, is there a book by Ricardo Semler in the 97th floor library? Not that I know. I of. just had to ask, are you familiar with the work of Ricardo Semler? No. Oh my God. I'm going to send you this book. Um, it, yeah. So, so he's a, he's a billion, he's a Brazilian billionaire. Um, he started a company, mm-hmm. that's not true. He inherited a company that was worth about 25 or 30 million. He built into a billion dollar company where there are, there's no vacation time policy. There is, yeah, yeah. There, there's no people. He's from Brazil. Yep. I've uh, watched his TED talk. Yeah, um, yeah. That, I believe that's how I was first yeah. introduced to him. I saw his TED talk, and I'm like, I got to read this guy's book. And so I went yeah. online and bought his book. But I'm gonna have to send the book to you because it's a phenomenally good book, and it's a lot of the same types of things that you, frankly, you kind of describe. Where you know, he's like, I don't care when you work, where you work, as long as the work gets done. I'm, you know. I, I don't, you know, so he, you know, so he's like, he's like, if the most important place for you to be on Wednesday is at the beach with your child, then that's the most important place for you to be. Yes, I, yeah, I, I didn't know he had a book. I'm definitely gonna read. That, I promise. Um, yeah, I, I loved his TED talk, and that definitely influenced us um, a lot. A couple other books that were core to influencing Ninety Cent Floor was Dan Pink's Drive. Um, he also has a TED talk. Um, that's about what motivates people, and then Sean Aker's Happiness Advantage. He also has a, a TED Talk as well. Everyone has a TED Talk. Um, anyway, those two books, Drive, Scam Pink, and ha- The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker, like two books that greatly influenced us. Th- that's awesome. I will make sure I check out both of those, and we will link all three books and all three TED Talks in the show notes so that people can, you know, if they don't want to read but they want to watch a 18-minute TED Talk, they can do that instead. Get the highlights. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I love about TED Talks is it's kind of like um, – it's kind of like seeing the preview of a movie. You know, you get you get the entire emotional roller coaster of the movie in ninety seconds. TED talks are kind of that way, but in eighteen minutes. Um, yeah, new employees, we have them watch the TED talks in like their, their first week, but then we say, "Hey, the book's in the ninth floor library. We're not going to force you to read it, but we <laughs> strongly encourage it." But at least they got the eighteen minute TED talk. That's awesome. I love it. Um, so I've got an off the map question for you. And it's not the one that I thought I was going to ask you, which, you know, when we were first talking, I was like, eh, sometimes the muse tells me to ask something else. And the muse is telling me that I should ask you um, if you have a really good story about Japan. Do I have a good story about Japan? Oh, man. It's one of the two places that are like the that I mostly want to go visit. I have a sister-in-law from Osaka, Japan. So I've known her my whole life, my oldest brother um 
so I've, all, I've just been fascinated by the Japanese culture just because of her, you know, yeah, cooking me meals and, and stuff from when I was a young age. Um, but I've never, unfortunately, been there. Um, my niece and nephew go, go back uh, quite a bit and I need to go there. So yeah, I don't have any stories there. I have a friend, he actually, his company worked from Magnuson Floor's office. Um, we have a few extra seats and they're a startup. And so we try to help startups out by giving them, you know, free office space every once in a while. And uh, it's called Onsen Cows. Um, and they, it's the best towel you've ever you know, had in your life. I don't have any ownership in Onsen or anything like that. So I'm not being biased here, but that's all we use at Magnuson Floor. But um, uh, yeah, it comes, it's a, it's a, uh, towel from Japan that they use over there. It's very humid in Japan is what I've been told by, by him, Shane. And, uh, it, it's a waffle type of a weave. So it, it actually dries you as opposed to our American towels that are very fluffy and kind of just don't absorb as much, but they're very soft and like, you know, comfortable in that sense. So they don't actually do what a towel is supposed to do, but then how thin it is it dries really, really fast. So in humid uh, places in Utah, it's not so humid. It's pretty dry actually. Um, but in humid places, Florida or whatever, Atlanta, isn't Atlanta fairly humid? Um, it, it, it's a great place. It, it dries so you don't get the you know bacteria or the you know grungy smell as as quickly. So um, anyway, and there's a Japanese uh, flag on each towel because it's inspired by um, Japanese. But yeah, it, it's doing good. He raised a million dollars in his Kickstart. Uh, uh, campaign in like two or three weeks or whatever. So wow, really that, that, that that's <laughs> really impressive. So first of all, I love that you you I I I genuinely appreciate your sense of ethics where you talk about something and then you'll say, well, I don't get anything out of it, and I genuinely appreciate that because you know we live in a world where we're never really sure. So thank you. Um, yeah, we will yeah. we will also by the way link to that towel in the show notes because I'm gonna have to and I'm really picky about towels. I'm gonna have to go get one and and we're gonna link to the towel in the show notes if it's already available. Um, but the reason I asked yeah. you that question was you mentioned Kaizen, and then um, I was not certain, but I thought the artwork to your back right, because, uh, you know, we're seeing each other on video. I thought the artwork to your back right might be Japanese or Asian, but apparently not. Yeah. Up there? Yeah. Those are actually um, uh, the the night sky. So it's for my, my wedding and my first two kids. Um <sighs> what the, the sky looked like, the positioning of the stars. Um, I can't remember the company name. Uh, I think Night Sky or something. Again, not affiliated with them, but I, it was a present to my wife um, uh, a birthday or two ago or Christmas or something like that. But yeah, it's whatever the date was, you, you choose whatever date you know it is, and it shows you how the sky looked during that night. So, yeah. so I have to say, that is perhaps, I probably have, I perhaps asked, the best off the map question ever because that's beautiful so you have the night sky from your wedding and from your child's birth wow yeah we just had one uh, our third kid six weeks ago so i need to order a new one to go up there on the wall <laughs> <laughs> well at six weeks they're not feeling left out yet you know at six years True. they're gonna feel yeah. left out how come my night sky is not up there daddy oh, <laughs> that's awesome yeah. Wow. Well, Wayne, thank you so much. I am just super glad that you came on the podcast today. Um, I've learned a lot. I know our listeners have learned a lot as well. I want to make sure that our our listeners or our listeners, either way, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to get a hold of you. Your URL is 97thfloor.com. And dear listeners, when you go there, be sure to check out their blog and check out one specific 
post, and that post is Culture Shock, How Company Culture is the Primary Force in Determining Brand Strength. Hey, Wayne, thank you again. I'm super grateful. Thank you, Dolph. It was a great hair. And if anyone, we, we do volunteer work and stuff. If anyone has any questions about marketing or whatever, we won't say, but we'll try to uh, you know, help you out where we can. So anyone can reach out to me or just Nine Cent Floor in general, and we'll volunteer our time a little bit to try to help answer any questions. Th- that's awesome. Thank you so much. Don't forget that we'll have the URL for 97th Floor on the show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Now, it is hard to believe that we will start a new year and a new decade. Let me just say that again. A new year and a new decade in less than a month. Of course, the new year also means it's time for our annual New Year's episode, and this year we want to include you in that episode. We have traditionally asked prior guests from the year to share their New Year's resolutions on that episode, and we're going to do that again this year, but we are supersizing it because we are also going to be including the resolutions of listeners like you. So knowing that nonprofit professionals and board members are rarely idle and always seeking improvement, I am sure that you are thinking of some goals and resolutions for your new year. If that sounds like you, I would love to hear those resolutions. So here's what I'm going to ask that you do. Grab your phone and start recording. I do, however, have a few guidelines. The first is please save your file as a WAVE or MP3. It's super easy to do, whether using a Droid or an iPhone, it's super easy to do. The second is please make sure that your resolutions are personal. So that might be about your work life, it might be your board involvement, or it might be completely personal, like I want to get more sleep. But we are asking that folks kind of be light on self-promotion and heavy on an actual New Year's resolution they're really making. So let me also say that every year we get a couple recordings from executive directors or, who, or consultants who will say something like, my resolution is for my organization to change people's lives next year. And while that might be the resolution for their organization, it's probably not their own personal resolution. So the last thing that I'm going to ask is please send those to our special projects coordinator, Isaac, and that's Isaac at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, and you guessed it, we will include Isaac's email address in the show notes. Now, that's our show for this week, listeners. I hope you've gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.